Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the newest episode of the Rutgers Scoutcast, a Rutgers football and athletics podcast available every Friday on the Scout Network and hopefully soon in some other capacities to make it easier for you, the listener, to enjoy on your timetable. It's a bit of a different show this week with Brian and myself all over the place, hitting camps all over New Jersey. We did not get together this week to record, but instead I went down to Princeton to meet one of my good friends from college and one of the few people that's crazy enough like myself to try to pursue a career in journalism. His name is Tyler Donahue. He works for the Bleacher Report. And I think that you'll find this conversation to be interesting. Tyler has a pretty interesting resume and we run through it during our conversation over lunch in Princeton. Don't worry, I didn't have to wear a disguise. In talking with him, the thing to keep in mind when you listen to him talk is he began his career in athletics working for Rutgers football. He was a recruiting intern and a recruiting ambassador for Rutgers football during the glory days. During the 2005 to 2008 time period as a senior, he decided to go into journalism, and that's when I got to know Tyler uh, when I was working with the Daily Targum. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. We, we touch on a few topics that he has some firsthand knowledge on, including his experience at the Elite 11 scouting Jonathan Lewis and some fun recruiting stories from when he worked for Greg Schiano in the Rutgers recruiting office. When you listen to this, I think that what you need to listen to is the way that Tyler talks about Rutgers. This is a guy that's in media, has not been associated with Rutgers for, I want to say, about eight or nine years now, but he still says we. He still talks about his time so fondly at Rutgers. He's getting married the same week as the 10-year anniversary of the Louisville game, and he's doing it at Rutgers. So this is a guy that really enjoyed and took advantage of his time on the banks as a student, and I think that uh, he will have some interesting stories for you. This is considerate part one of our conversation. Part two, I think, will be after Tyler goes out to the opening and comes back, and we'll talk about some of the Rutgers targets, and maybe, who knows, maybe Rutgers commits in action by the time the opening concludes. So welcome again to the Rutgers ScoutCast, and here's my conversation with Tyler Donahue. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rutgers ScoutCast with a guest panelist this week live from Princeton, New Jersey. I'm here with Tyler Donahue of Bleacher Report. What's up, man? Sam, thanks for the invite. Uh, thanks for coming up to my neck of the woods here. And uh, like you referenced earlier, Tarzan Reunion, proud, proud of you here. Yeah, I was going to say, just running down your resume in my head, for, for someone our age, it's a pretty long one, ESPN Radio, Bleacher Report. Uh, the Daily Targum, some place called WRSU that I have no respect for, of course. Uh, but most interestingly, uh, Rutgers football, former employee. So it's got to be interesting now that you're a recruiting guy. Yeah, to, to see it from both sides of the wall, I think, is is interesting and enlighten, enlightening for me. I think it helps me prevent a rush of judgment into some cases, and it kind of gives me an inkling as to where things might be headed uh, as far as trending-wise. But uh, just looking back at that, the game's changed so much, Sam. There wasn't Twitter. Um, there, there were far fewer social media devices. And this is, like, making me sound super old because this was only 2006. Um, but I arrived on campus as, a, as an undergrad. 
and uh, 06, 07, 07, 08 seasons and the cycles that came with them. I was you know, with Coach Chiano's staff and looking back on it now, we, we thought maybe it would be the start of a, of a big time move up to the national tier. Um, you know, I'd like to see Rutgers get, get to that point where they are a national presence, but right now, you know, you look back at those years as kind of the golden era and you know, I'm very proud to be, to be done a very small part uh, and a huge group of support staff. Uh, on those Triano-led teams. Well, it's ten more years and two coaches later, but it seems like Rutgers is committed to finally making that step when it comes to institutional support, which I know when you worked for Greg Schiano, what wasn't necessarily the case of button heads with the university and not always getting along, so it's, it's weird on my perspective to see that finally happening. Yeah, and obviously um, from my instance, I, I wasn't privy to a lot of those behind-the-scenes battles or, or you know, some of the stuff you might be referencing. Um, obviously, being a Rutgers journalism alumni and you know somebody who was with Rutgers football, I was a big Tim Pernetti fan. We all know what happened with that situation. I, I felt like he was the right guy for that transition. Um, but you know, here we are today, uh, bringing in Coach Ash, and he's a guy that, that really had established himself as a credible recruiter, a credible football coach uh, on one of the big-time staffs in the country. When you're working for Urban Meyer, it doesn't get much bigger. It's Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, and I think everyone's just a little bit below that notch when you talk about the entire college football spectrum. So for a guy to come over from within the conference and, and get his shot, and from all indications I've heard in the recruiting world and just uh, you know reporters like you and also people around that team, he's just a fired-up guy. And I think that's exciting because look at the Rutgers football offices the last, I don't know, 12 years, there's been a lot of the same people involved, a lot of great people, and many have come and gone and come back. Uh, and, and Coach Flood, I think, did a lot of great work during his time on the banks as an, off, as an offensive assistant back when I was there and then eventually working his, his way up to the head coach up to the departure of Shiano. Uh, but right now, I just think you get a sense where it was a chance to let go of some of that history uh, and kind of, kind of refresh. And, and almost in some ways, it feels like this is a new era for them two years into the Big Ten experience. It almost seems like now we're a part of the Big Ten because now we got the guy from Ohio State staff and now we're plucking assistance from these other successful staffs and now moving forward we're ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the likes of Michigan, with the likes of Ohio State and all these other schools that want to come in and invade uh, New Jersey and we'll continue to do that but you got to have fire. Like I think Chris Ash says that. So I think when you look at Rutgers now, and I say we because I'm speaking on behalf of the team when I when I say, you know. Yeah, you're an alumni, you're right. a former employee, you know, right. I understand the perspective. Uh, so, you know, when you get down to it, I, I do feel like Rutgers is in great shape right now. I do think it's going to take some patience and some time, and there's certainly some positions where they're going to need to find upgrades in the recruiting trail. Uh, but first things first, you got to start to build that momentum. It has to start somewhere. You can start to get the sense things are rolling in the right direction. Tyler, I want to get back to you working at Rutgers because I think you probably have some great stories from your time working for Greg Schiano. But you talked about the modern-day recruiting. You were just out in California yeah. at the Elite 11 event where you saw St. Peter's Preps' Jonathan Lewis compete. He didn't make the final cut, but... At least from watching and, and from talking to you and to talking to Brandon Huffman out there, uh, he made a lot of improvement. What did you see? This was your first exposure to Jonathan Lewis. Yeah, it was. I, I didn't get a chance to see him in game action yet, so this is a limited view because I don't have the pad views aside from his game film. Yeah, so New Jersey was really well represented out in California by my measure. As you mentioned, was not one of the 12 selected to go compete at the opening. For those who don't know what the opening is, it's an elite invitation-only event. Out in Beaverton, Oregon, Nike's World Headquarters, and again, 12 quarterbacks will be out there. He will not be one of them, but I thought he did himself 
uh, a lot of justice uh, for proving himself among 24 quarterbacks out there who are the king of the crop. Uh, I wouldn't say they're the 24 best quarterbacks in the country. I would say they're 24 of the 40 best quarterbacks in the country. So either way, some of the best from every corner. You got SEC commits. You got Alabama kids there. Michigan commit. Uh, now an Ohio State commit, and then there was a Rutgers commit out there. So I was interested to see how they measure up against dudes. Are they going to look overwhelmed? And I think at first he was somebody who was, uh, from a personality standpoint, at least what I saw, uh, may have been a little slightly guarded. Um, I don't think he was hesitant, but I think he was kind of just acclimating himself. I know the first day we talked right after his session, and I was like, when did he get out there? And I think he got on the plane in New Jersey 6 o'clock that night, and then where there we are, by the end of the day, a few blocks away from the Pacific Ocean, and he's throwing lasers. So there is kind of just, you got to get settled in. I think by the end of this uh, whole thing, it was Friday through Sunday, so Saturday was a pro day uh, test, basically what they put these quarterbacks through when they're making the leap from college to the NFL. And the scouts want to see what they can do within the pocket. They want to see them make different kinds of throws, uh, evade pressure, rollouts. There's, everything's designed for these guys. I think it was 19 plays were scripted. And he stepped up. He rose up to the occasion. And I thought he did it really well on the move. And he was somebody that I know I wanted to see kind of how he did when his feet were planted in the pocket. And when he was just sitting back there, and he delivered some really nice balls, Sam. Uh, ultimately, I think what he has going for him the best right now, everything is arm power, arm strength. He's a big physical kid. He was probably the most physically impressive kid out there from just if you line them all up in a row. This wasn't a big group. Last year, we had guys like Jacob Eason and Felipe Franks pushing six foot six. This year, he, you know, I think he's probably six three and a half, maybe. Uh, yeah, but he was still great. one of the big guys out there. You know, Two hundred twenty pounds, probably thick kid. And he just looks like someone who's ready to compete for the job when he gets on campus from a physical standpoint. Now, from a mental standpoint, we'll find all that out. And they test him a lot on that stuff at the Elite 11. They gauge how they can retain information. They throw a lot of these kids as far as the, the playbook they install out of the Elite 11 finals. Um, so it's really interesting um, to see him kind of progress throughout the week. And the final thing I'll touch on with, with Lewis is, you know, it's Sunday afternoon. These kids have thrown hundreds of balls by the end of this. They've been physically pushed to the limit through kind of some boot camp stuff. Uh, they've had to deal with all of us media, asking them all sorts of questions throughout the week. And again, the mental aspect was really difficult for these kids. But so physically mental fatigue can set in. And I saw it set in on some quarterbacks. I thought he crescendoed in the seven on seven um, on Sunday. He completed four touchdowns by my count. And the deep ball was beautiful. I think he lost control of the deep ball at times during the weekend and let it sail on him, which, you know, you're going to have to figure that out how to harness the arm strength and match that to some accuracy and precision. And they'll look to do that at Rutgers. Uh, but from an arm strength standpoint, he was slinging the ball into the corner of the end zone, back of the end zone, and just finding dudes wide open. Tyler, where did you, uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Cape May County, New Jersey. Well, for the first portion of my life, I lived in the west coast of Florida, uh, right outside of Tampa. But fifth grade through high school, during my college career, um, home base was Cape May County, so down south. So you have to be pretty interested in the way that Rutgers is recruiting that area now. Uh, two commitments out of Cedar Creek near you in wide receiver Bo Melton, who we have as the top receiver in the state, and then also the top center in the state, Owen Bowles. Uh, how closely do you follow that program? Well. I actually started following the whole area a lot more closely, Sam, as you know, after graduation. I went to California for a while. When I came back from California, um, I was able to cover South Jersey sports for ESPN Radio down there. And, you know, part of my job was to make sure I was educated about the football and basketball scene. And obviously, you know me, I was geared towards football. And Cedar Creek from the get was very compelling. I played in the Cape Atlantic League down there. 
um, in high school at Middle Township High School, and there was no Cedar Creek. Cedar Creek showed up uh, into the Cape Atlantic League, I want to say three or four years ago. Before that, their first season, they didn't have any seniors. I believe their team was entirely comprised of uh, you know, freshmen, sophomores, and juniors, and they played an independent league schedule that year. And so they're taking long bus trips up to West Jersey, into Delaware, you know, basically taking on who will you know, schedule a matchup with them. And at the time, you know, they have a junior quarterback and a junior defensive back named David Mitchell. And he kind of put them on the map from the get-go because their first year in the Cape Atlantic League, all of a sudden, they reached the South Jersey Group 2 championship game. And it was pretty ridiculous. They dominated their half of the Cape Atlantic. And Damon Mitchell was the catalyst there. And then in the state in the sectional title game, I'm watching, and this is a player who ends up going to Arkansas where you know he's going to get a shot this year to do some different things on offense. But Damon was the story. But around him, uh, you know, there was a young wide receiver, freshman Amir Mitchell. And Damon was telling me at the time, this kid is going to be better than me. He's going to be better than his big brother. And I don't know if Amir Mitchell was ever the kind of uh, polished level position guy that Damon was, because I thought Damon was a very strong high school quarterback. Uh, but Amir was a guy you looked at as a freshman and then moving forward every year. He's a long dude, he could run well, he's a threat from wherever you want to line him up, whether it's a safety, I want to make him big, put him an outside linebacker, and I know he's going to get a shot at receiver at Michigan. Um, so he put them on the map, and, and on that initial team that I saw in the backfield uh, was Gary Mellon. Uh, you know, so that that was their running back at the time. Not to he, be confused with Gary Melton exactly. Sr. who played at Rutgers. Yes, yeah, but another brother. Uh, and so it was like the story of these two brothers, and I was impressed, so impressed by the older ones at first, and then along comes Bo. And, you know, you go through all the hype around Amir last year, which obviously at Bleacher Report we helped facilitate that with the commitment video, uh, but he, he earned it every step of the way. But meanwhile, I don't know if a lot of people noticed, maybe Bo Melton was the best player on that football team last year. Uh, this is a kid that's a physical freak. Uh, it is not just on the football field. He is a track star, and you know you watch him on track. I, I know people have been in attendance at his track events this year, and they particularly called me up out of the blue to tell me how blown away they were by Bo Melton's physicality and just overall athleticism. So uh, for Rutgers to get him, and then followed up with Owen Bowles just a few days ago, a guy that I think I've been really impressed with in the trenches at Cedar Creek for a while. Uh, to get both of those guys on board in this same class, they're guys who are going to go out of their way to recruit other New Jersey players, South Jersey guys, uh, whether it's Bell down in Bridgeton or just moving forward. I think the important thing here, though, is if Bill Melton, say he goes to Michigan or he goes to Ohio State, and these are schools that had offers on the table, if he goes to one of those schools, the narrative at Cedar Creek moving forward might not be good for Rutgers because they're still establishing themselves. And if you got, uh, you got know, Amir Mitchell, uh, leaving from Michigan, and, and then before him, his brother Damon going uh, initially to Wisconsin and then following Bielema down to Arkansas, neither go to Rutgers. If Bo Melton, say, goes to Ohio State or Michigan, maybe Owen Bowles is less inclined to go to Rutgers and join his teammate. And there's just that excitement. And I think this is a program led by head coach Tim Watson that is going to continue to build. They're going to continue to attract more top-tier talent. And, you know, the eyes are going to be on South Jersey more often. You look at Timber Creek, what they've been able to do, I think you're going to see Cedar Creek be in that same conversation as a school you want to go to the well with maybe twice a year, target two players in each class. And I think if you're Rutgers and you can do that at a few different programs each year in New Jersey and develop a kind of pipeline, uh, that's that's huge. And that was the foundation that, you know, say the next big five-star quarterback comes from Cedar Creek in 2020, he's going to have a point of reference now for what his old teammates went through, and, and, and he'll be able to kind of use them and his head coach Tim Watson as a guide. I think what I take away from a Rutgers perspective with Bo Melton is that it's the first time in a while where you have a Rutgers legacy that's feeling Rutgers early in the process. He gets that first offer from Rutgers, and this time he actually picked them. 
Uh, everyone remembers Jared Garantano getting his yeah. Rutgers offer in eighth grade. That didn't work out for Rutgers. There, there were other players in this class, Tommy Christ out of Virginia, who's had family play at Rutgers in 2016, 2015. There were a lot of kids. But whatever Chris Ash has changed, whatever he's doing, and whatever his assistants are doing, the, the legacy aspect seems to have more value or mean a little bit more now than it did the last four or five years. You want you want your children to be proud. And I know, again, this is a conversation that's going to make me feel old, but all those guys who are part of the Shiano era, you know, they're going to start raising families of their own. They're going to have kids. And, and look what you see, Florida State legacy guys. Stanford Samuels, a five-star cornerback this year. Everyone in the country wants him, but his dad played at Florida State. A lot of people think he's going to end up there. Same thing last year. Ben Davis, top linebacker in the country, goes to Alabama. Everyone wanted him. His father played there tough to turn that down. So, you know, obviously with Jericho Artano last year, a lot of people were hoping that would come through with the legacy and the quarterback need. And just talking with Jared, I, I believe it was a few hours before his decision was released. And, and he, you know, you could feel, he knew he was kind of letting down some people at Rutgers, but it's his choice, it's his decision. Uh, but Gary Mellon, to, to get his son, you know, Bo, who I don't think he necessarily steered him toward Rutgers, but I know he's proud that he's going to Rutgers. Uh, you know, for that to happen, I think it's a legacy thing, and it also is, Hey, South Jersey guys, check this out. You know, Bo Melton's going to get a shot. I think, uh, I don't know if you're in agreement here, but I think he's a guy who has a chance to be an immediate impact dude yeah. because they need somebody like him to, to ignite some things um, on offense. He could play defense. I don't know where exactly they're going to ultimately put him, but I do know that Bo Melton is a kid. If, 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 given his career trajectory, along with Owen Bowles, that sets the stage for South Jersey to, you know, get more players on the board for Rutgers uh, because right now, a couple years ago, three years ago, two years ago, Penn State, James Franklin decimating the South Jersey recruiting scene. We've seen Temple kick it up a notch under Matt Rule. He's done a great job attacking South Jersey. And Michigan's proven they're going to go anywhere they need to. Two guys from Camden last year uh, and another from Cedar Creek High School. So you have to combat that. If they want to fence the garden, fence the whole thing, and that includes South Jersey. It may not be as densely populated, uh, but coming from a South Jersey native, there are ballers down there, and you're seeing that now on an annual basis. Yeah, outside of, I think you were working for Shiano at the time, outside of maybe 2008, the Logan Ryan class, mm -hmm. I've never seen Rutgers recruit South Jersey like this. So I think that you've got to give credit to the new staff for whatever it is that they've changed, it's worked, because people in South Jersey are more receptive to Rutgers right now. But I mentioned you working at Rutgers. People, the, the average Rutgers fan, no offense, has no clue who you are uh, as a Rutgers employee. Sure. None of, you know, 95% of them didn't know the name of the recruiting coordinator or, or couldn't tell you anyone in the recruiting office, which is, I mean, makes sense. It's usually not, a good thing unless you get recruiting violations. That's when you hear the names, right? You're, you were in a job where you weren't supposed to be seen, uh, which means you did a good job. So for people that don't understand what you did, I guess as a student, I think you started your freshman year, right? Yeah, yeah. What was your day like? Well, yeah, to backtrack here, uh, I played for Dennis Scuderi at Middle Township. It was his first year as our head coach. He was previously uh, you know, an assistant coach up at Rutgers uh, when he was making his way up, settled down, had a family, and went down to South Jersey. But he ultimately found I was going to Rutgers, and he lined me up an interview with Jason Mitchell, who at the time uh, was running a lot of the operations, running the recruiting staff. He's now with the New Orleans Saints for probably six, seven years now. But he ended up bringing me into the fold. I was actually hired, Sam, before I finished my senior year in high school. So I was already like, all right, I need to learn as much as I can about Rutgers football. It's just like me in the Targum. Because yeah, to be honest, um, you know, even though I did grow up in New Jersey, 
early memories of Rutgers was then losing to West Virginia by 50 points and losing to Miami by 60 points, and those were my early memories. But at that time, Brian Leonard was kind of emerging on the national stage. They had just played in a bowl game, um, so you know, and Cochiano was starting to you know turn the tide a little bit. I got there in 06, and uh, you know, basically my initial tasks were to do some writing. Um, I, I would do like a weekly roundup of each Rutgers game, kind of send a capsule with some notes. Um, to our big recruiting database. And uh, on top of that, uh, I got to cut up a lot of tape. Um, some excellent, some not so excellent, but this was, again, dating ourselves. Back when we were in high school, or back when we were in college, there wasn't as much accessibility for Huddle. A lot of it, we were getting VHSs, we were getting DVDs, and you had to manually you know, transfer that stuff. I remember watching Tom Savage's uh, sophomore year game tape. I remember uh, watching Eric LeGrand's uh, game tape from Colonia and, and assessing some of these guys who we're all very familiar with as part of the Rutgers uh, lineage now. Uh, and, and so, you know, it would, it would involve a lot of that. I wasn't necessarily the guy that was uh, handing out scholarship offers, but I was the guy that, you know, I would get these tapes ready for the coaches. Um, some of the coaches occasionally, you know, they would gauge our, our you know, our take on the player. Um, and it was really our job when these players got to campus to make sure that they felt at home, to make sure their families felt at home, and you know whether that was campus tours, going up to New York City on these official visit weekends. But mainly for me, as a student at Rutgers, I wanted to kind of show them that you know when you leave the football facilities, there's a lot of cool stuff around campus you can do because a lot of these guys coming up from Florida or coming from out of state. You know, they come to New Brunswick and they might say, well, this ain't exactly Athens, Georgia. Uh, and But you want to say, but guess what? You're not going to train. You're 50 minutes away from New York City. Or, uh, you know, you can all these have a fat sandwich. Give this a shot. And, and, you know, they would get a chance to mingle with some of the players. But really, I just felt like I was a facilitator. And it got easier on um, my third year with the program. I could kind of use some of the players on the roster as a resource for recruiting. They could host some guys. Uh, and you sort of put the pieces together as far as the players we were looking for. Remember, this is the Shiano era, and something that's so amazing to think back now is how big Florida was for us. Um, this is back before a lot of rules changed things, and rules are always in flux with these satellite camps. But, you know, Shiano was a big-time guy in the Miami area and the surrounding counties because of his time with the Hurricanes, um, and, and also just because he had those relationships down there built with a lot of college, with a lot of high school coaches who would get their teams up. I talked about Janoris Jenkins and his Pahokee uh, squad coming up for a Rutgers camp. We had a bunch of big-time blue-chip dudes come up from Booker T. Washington High School in Miami, and there was billboards of Rutgers football, you know, proclaiming us as the next big thing, essentially, and, and tooting the horn. They were down there on the highways in South Florida, and I think, you know, when you add it all up, the guys we got from that area, Eric Foster, Tim Brown, uh, you know, just, and the list goes on and on. I, I know I'm stopping short there, um, but it was a huge part of those rosters, and, and I think that's probably what is most different now is, I don't, you know, there's, with new coaching stats, there's different connections, and, um, you know, there's so much I could talk about, Sam, I can go on for, for days on this, but I would say that the coolest thing to start my career was, I think I was on the job for four months, and then November rolled around, uh, and that's when Jeremy Ito hits a game winner, and all of a sudden we're on, we're on the national stage, and I'm like, whoa, okay, so I'm, I can get used to this undefeated. You know, the next week Cincinnati smacks us around a little bit, uh, brings it back to earth, but it was a heck of a time to be involved uh, with the program, and, and certainly it, it, it made me very proud um, as an 18, 19, and 20-year-old who didn't quite understand what he was undertaking. To look back at it now, you know, I'm definitely proud of the hours I put in as, in, you know, I had to go to class, I had to do all that stuff, but there were times we were in that office for a long time with some of my close guys who are still close friends to me that have left the program, but 
Um, it was a dedicated, concerted effort, and everyone was on board. And, and the chop, you know, it's probably out of style these days. I don't know if you're going to hear it as much. Yeah, now it's an ironic <laughs> chop, I think. But I'll tell you what, back then, you felt it in the pulse. When you walked in the office, there's fall mornings, we're 8 no. You know, we're just climbing this. Ray Rice is in the Heisman conversation. You just felt the chop aspect. And even the next year when I felt like we had a more complete team, but we didn't put together the, the quite the season. But in 2007, I thought it was the most complete team. Uh, but those two years, those three years, uh, really just a special time on the banks. It's funny, you, you mentioned the 07 year, and you talked earlier about when you decided you were going to Rutgers, you had to do that cramming. Uh, I've told this story before, but I was the same way. I, I decided to go to Rutgers probably early 2006, and I didn't follow football, like Rutgers football. I didn't care. but So I learned everything I could about Rutgers football from playing NCAA football. And... <laughs> Yeah, it taught me that the McCordys were pretty young, talented corners, and it taught me about how cool Ray Rice was. But the main thing that I came up to Rutgers, I was like, I'll tell you what, this guy, Chenry Lewis, he's going to be a stud. Because he was so good in the game that I thought this was the best player that Rutgers would ever have, and that unfortunately never happened. But uh, that's, a, that's a tough part of this whole process. There's guys who bring in, and you think they're a slam dunk, and you think it's going to be a three-year starter for you, and... And it just maybe doesn't happen. And then there's guys like Anthony Davis who you think are a slam dunk, and then they slam the ball real hard. Yeah. And then there's, you know, Logan Ryan, very talented player. Did I ever anticipate he'd be a mainstay in a, in a Super Bowl contending, you know, NFL program? I don't know about that, coming from South Jersey. But it's a guy who worked his way through Rutgers, ended up leaving early. And it, it just, it's special to watch all the different journeys. And obviously not all of them end where you want because of injuries, maybe lack of preparation. Uh, but when some of these dudes rise up, uh, as maybe a three-star recruit and turn out to be one of the best guys in your class, that's really cool, too. You can give Tyler 100% credit for Tom Savage going to Rutgers. He, <laughs> he is the guy that closed the deal on Tom Savage. And if you want, you can tweet him thanks at TD's Take on Twitter because Tom Savage never would have come to Rutgers if it weren't for Tyler Donahue. So, Tyler, tell me a Tom Savage recruiting story. How did you close on this kid? <laughs> oh, well... Before he formally accepted the scholarship in my office, no, uh, <laughs> pretty sure uh, I was not in that office when he committed. But um, you know, my favorite Tom Savage story is probably shortly after he committed. Obviously, everyone wants to just go up and hug the kid when he gets to campus on his next visit following that announcement. Um, it was a big time thing. Anthony Davis was huge, but at a quarterback position, everything gets you know totally intensified. And his magnified. was so much earlier in the process. And his was early. Was it was like, okay, we got a quarterback, we, but not only that, we got a quarterback who's going to get to spend the next you know, 10 months or whatever it was recruiting guys yeah. to Rutgers, and he did a heck of a to job. To get you Logan Ryan yeah. and Abdul Smith and right. all those kids from South Jersey, PA. He, he was after everybody, which is what you want your quarterback to be. Um, and you know, We brought him to campus, uh, and I was with probably a group of about five, six people. Uh, he was with a few other players who we were targeting, probably another recruiting assistant. We went over to the dining hall at Bush, um, which is probably the best one on campus at the time, so it's good that we went there. I think it's Livingston now, which makes me feel really old. It sickens me because I still avoid Livingston's that place. Livingston's the worst. <laughs> uh, forever, right? Yeah, it blows. <laughs> um, so we bring Savage over there, and, and we sit down, and he gets to find, you know, try the finest food that Rutgers has to offer. And, um, and then a table next to us, I think they were pretty newly enrolled, I want to say, the 07 class had been on campus. Uh, was it 07 or 07 was class? 08, was 08, when they got 08 class was probably been on campus for I don't know a couple weeks. Um, so they're they're rolling in. They're still walking in deep. 
and DC Jefferson is among them. And he's a quarterback that we were really excited about at the time, coming out of Florida, huge kid, massive frame, and just the kind of guy that gets you excited at Rutgers because you know we had Mike Teal and he was what he was. This guy looked a little bit different. And Mike Teal turns out, and I tell this to everybody, Mike Teal looks better and better every year for what he accomplished at Rutgers. Best quarterback in Rutgers history. Absolutely, and I think people start to understand that. But anyways. We're looking towards the future, and, and we, you know, we realize you're going to need a big-time quarterback to get where Coach Yano wants to take this program. And you know, so, DC Jefferson's in in the room. Tom Savage is in the room. I'm excited about both of them. But it was all of a sudden you could sense something. You know, they acknowledge each other, but you know, Tom wants to come in. He's going to go for his job. DC doesn't want Tom to take his job. He wants to be the future quarterback at Rutgers. And it felt like a special moment because it was like. We aren't just getting players to take a chance in Rutgers. These guys are willing to come to Rutgers, and they're ready to compete for starting a job. And I just thought, surveying that situation, it was a moment where I felt Rutgers recruiting had really reached a new point on a personal level for me. Just watching you know, a quarterback that was one of the best in the Northeast in Tom Savage and a quarterback the year before who I thought was one of the most promising in the Southeast and, you know, in one Rutgers cafeteria. And, you know, obviously they didn't combine for many starts on the banks, which is what's so unfortunate now that we look back. But both had an opportunity to earn some nice paychecks in the NFL. So congratulations to both of them. And, uh, you know, I think they, they probably made a lot more money doing what they did, going their, their different courses than we are make, talking about them and, and what they did. So I think Mohamed <laughs> Sanu probably played a little more quarterback yeah. than either of those two at the end of the day. But uh, before I ask three more quick questions for you that we, we close every podcast with okay. the same questions, uh, make sure you follow him, Tyler at TD's Take on Twitter. Follow his coverage on Bleacher Report. And he will be out in Oregon for the opening, so you can follow him after you follow Scout People, of course. Uh, <laughs> you can follow him for updates on guys like Marquise Bell and Harrison Hand, who are going to be competing out there. So, Tyler, I ask everyone, uh, who's your favorite Rutgers athlete of all time? doesn't have to be football, but who's your, who's your favorite? And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go by the eyeball test. I can't, I'm not going to go old school and say Paul Robeson or something like that. This is, it's got, I've got to be out watch. And i got to go Ray Rice, man. i just got to go Ray Rice. Um, obviously, that situation has evolved so much in the last three or four years. But what he did was sheer determination. This kid, I don't know how many of you have stood next to Ray Rice. He's a wide dude, not a large dude, though. And the kind of volume of carries that we asked him to take... He cared, I mean, he literally carried us in games where otherwise we would have gotten, gotten past those tests. And he would be, these running backs, you carry the ball 35 times in a game. It's going to be a rough week for practice. And he would come out, he did what he could. You know, they kind of had him on a little regiment where he didn't necessarily have to go too much. But the determination of this young man, his family story, once I got to learn about that and what he was doing for Ray's his mother. Mom. And Ray's mom was there every step of the way. Uh, and Ray was there for her every step of the way. And that's the kind of stuff that just made Ray so special for me. And, and I got to go Ray Rice because best years of Rutgers football on the map for me. He's the best player on that team. He's the catalyst. And, um, you know, to this day, you still see him repping Rutgers when he can. Uh, question two, you think Rutgers, Rutgers University, or Rutgers football, what's your, your memory? Like, what's your favorite memory that you still remember that com- comes back to you and you think about a lot? When I was with Rutgers football? Uh, or, well, I'm hoping you don't bring general, up, or, I'm hoping you don't bring up the Rutgers tennis incident of 2010. <laughs> no, that's, we blog about that one that, We might have to discuss that on part two. <laughs> um, I, I would, I would honestly say, I mean, I'll get in trouble if I don't say this, I, Went back for the uh, journalism alumni tailgate a few years back. Steve Miller, shout out. It was before, yes, Steve Miller hit this up. um, And Rutgers was playing Army, and we won the game against Army. And afterwards, I go to one of my favorite bars where I used to go with uh, some of my football brethren, um, the Olive Branch. And I ended up meeting 
this girl Hillary, and um, now we're a few months away from our wedding. So, you know, I met her through Sopan, uh, who used to work for Rutgers as well. Sopan Shah, former recruiting assistant, did a really good job for Shiano in the early Kyle Flood years. And so he was—he actually was, was a friend of a friend situation. And um, now thanks Sopan, but uh, yeah, so that was probably my, my all-time favorite. But I think it's hard to top as far as being a student. Sam is being on the side of the field. After Rito hits that kick, points to the camera, and then we, you know, we bring Brian Brom down to the ground. The game's over. So rush the field again, the second time that night. Um, so November 2006, when we won that game, it really seemed like anything was possible. And I'm looking around like, a year ago I didn't know much about Rutgers. Here I am in the football facilities, you know, being entrusted with some great stuff. And we're doing something very special. So that, that was really hard to top. Again, another game that Ray Rice just came up huge in. I, uh... I think I met up with you at the Olive Branch that day because I think it was one of the first times you were back around after you graduated. Yeah, I was so, up here actually. Yes, I, you know what? That, that that may have been the time. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and take the assist on yeah, the engagement the too. Yeah. Uh, question three: You get one more meal on Rutgers campus. Where are you eating? What are you gonna get? You know what? I got I gotta go. I'm gonna give you a complete meal here too. Yeah. Uh, drink outside, everything. Going to Hensel, Hensel and Griddle. If I could, I would teleport back to the little shack they had yeah. and go to that Hensel and Griddle. Mine Street, the baby. one's nice here. It's got air conditioning. You can sit down. I go to that little shack and, and I would get myself uh, the popcorn buffalo crisp quesadilla. Classic. Uh, not to be confused, as my fiance always does. It's a buffadilla. No. No, that's no, sanctuary. That somewhere else. That's sanctuary. I don't get in on that. Um, it was the popcorn buffalo chicken crisp. And then I do the side of potato wedges. And then I do the banana foot. And then I probably got to go run or, or get to the gym or something. But I just lay there and enjoy it for a little while. That, that's the go-to for me, Sam. There you have it. Thanks, Tyler. No doubt. Thanks. Anytime. Thanks again to uh, our guest co-host this week, Tyler Donahue, with some fun insights. But breaking news as we prepare to post this Friday morning, I'm joined now by Scout National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan to discuss West Orange linebacker C.J. Onechi and his commitment to Rutgers. Brian, I know you like this pickup. I do like the pickup, and people are going to look at it and say, two-star kid, how much can you like him? If you liked it that much, you'd have him rated higher. And there is an element of truth to that. But the other part of it is, I just want to see him. And before I jack up his rating just because he committed somewhere, I want to see him. And he lives a half hour from me, and I'll have plenty of chances to go evaluate him further, whether it's in the 7-on-7 scene, because in speaking with his coach, Onyechi's going to play some receiver, and then I'll get to see him during the season, and I'm really in no hurry just to change your ranking. Um, Just want to do a thorough job, but he runs really well. I know the coach told you, Sam, that he compares him to Steve Longa. Um, I think think Steve was a little looser as a high school player, had a little more burst, but I understand where the comparison comes from. And I think Onyechi is a kid who, right now, you think of him an outside linebacker, but with the way Chris Ash wants to run his defense, your middle linebacker really has to be able to move. And I can actually see him moving inside with a smart kid who can pick up a defense quickly. Yeah, I honestly would be surprised if his career uh, at Rutgers involves primarily that linebacker position because if his brother's any indication, he's going to grow a lot. He's young for his age right now. He should only be ending his sophomore year, but educationally he moved up fast. I expect him to grow a lot and get taller, and I really think he could be the 
hybrid defensive end type that you've seen from Quanzo, Lambert, and the likes. Now I understand that this is a different kind of defense, but when I look at Anlet, I don't just see a traditional outside linebacker like Steve Lanka. I, I think he's more versatile, and I think he's going to be able to do more with his size. Yeah, if he can put on weight, look, he weighed in at Nike at, I think, 209. That was May 1st. So you figure, like you mentioned, he's a young kid, so there's plenty of time for him to grow. You expect with his frame and his length, he could probably get up to 225, 230. And with the way college defenses are evolving, you need that hybrid guy. You know, Rutgers used to call it the R position. You know, I don't care what you call it, the a jack position. Some places call it the star position. All I call you it the one and O position. <laughs> well, as long as you can go one and O in the rep, you're good. Um, but I look at it from the standpoint of you need, you know, can Onyeki be the guy who can put his hand on the ground sometimes, or maybe use him as a outside backer in a three four sometimes, and and puts him up the field. But yeah, you nailed it. You need versatility, and if he grows and puts on some weight. He's a kid that may be able to play some defensive end and linebacker. Then you don't have to worry about your substitution patterns as much, and you can have him in different packages and, and really do different things with him. So, yeah, I, I could understand exactly why you're saying that, and I won't rule it out. I just want to see, you know, he, yeah, there's room for growth, but he still has to grow. If you're interested, uh, people in the area, he'll be playing tomorrow, that's Saturday, depending on when you listen to this, at the William Patterson 7-on-7, so you can check him out and check out his athleticism if you want. There should be a couple other good schools there, but Brian and I will both be at the Rutgers Skills Camp on Saturday. Now, the the thing I like most about CJ is that he's got a lot of offensive line under his belt, and no, I don't think he's an offensive lineman or even close to it at the next level. It just shows you that He's going to do what's asked of him, even if it's not sexy, because he could be a dynamic tight end wide receiver kind of guy, but instead he's going to play the offensive line just to help the team. Well, it's funny. In speaking with his coach about it, his coach is telling me how excited he was to have him play receiver in that seven-on-seven, and they want to get him in the season to stretch the field and see how they can use him in the offense. But all it does is speak to his athleticism, right? If you're a big-time athlete, at the high school level, you should play both sides of the ball, or you should at least have that ability to, and he does. But, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the 7-on-7 seven seven at William Patterson. Hey, any of you guys that want to be, or gals that want to be videographers for a day, feel free to go up and shoot some of Onyechi in action and make arrangements to get it to me or Sam, and uh, then you would be able to share it with the Rutgers community. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're always looking for free labor, so it should be a, a fun time and get to check out someone for the future of Rutgers. But, Brian, thank you for joining us for this uh, quick reaction breakdown. I know you've read the three or four stories we've already put up on the site, but feel free to go back to scarletreport.com for more information on CJ and Yechi's commitment. If you're a premium subscriber, you knew this one was coming, thanks to Brian. Thanks again to my guest this week, Tyler Donahue of Bleacher Report. Had a good time catching up with Tyler, who I've known for six or seven years now. And we'll probably do a part two of this after he gets back from the opening and share some more Rutgers stories. We have a lot of them between the two of us. But 
Welcome back to the Rutgers Scoutcast and in our weekly mailbag segment. You can contact me on Twitter at Sam Hellman Scout via email shelman at scout.com or the best way to do it, which is how I do it this case, is on the Premium Scarlet Report forums where question from subscriber Eric this week asks, what is your opinion on Zach Allen? Is he going to make a huge impact? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think that Zach Allen has a very good chance to make an impact for Rutgers. I don't think it will happen right away. When I look at the schools that Zach Allen was considering early playing time and a good opportunity for him seemed to be the most important factor as he finishes out the last two years of his career. You look at Rutgers and you look at the quarterback situation and it's a pretty good opportunity. If you know how to run, you're a smart kid, you have some experience at the college level and you can make quick decisions, that's what it takes. And I think that that's the skill set that Zach Allen brings to quarterback. Now, with that being said, He's far behind Chris Laviano in learning the Rutgers offense. He does not have the arm strength of Hayden Reddick. And I don't think he's as mobile as Tylen Odin, the true freshman that also enrolled earlier this month. But what Zach Allen does bring is he brings a good mix of all three of those things, and he knows how to play college football. He hasn't been a quarterback for a while, so that's going to be an adjustment. And I think that the fact that he moved – to wide receiver at TCU tells you that he might not have been the most elite quarterback that they saw in their system, which helped lead to that transfer, similarly to Hayden Reddick leaving LSU. I think that the best thing that Zach Allen brings Rutgers is real depth. Being graduate transfer, he can play right away. I think that having him as your primary backup to Chris Laviana would be a very good situation for Rutgers. It allows Tylen Oden to redshirt, which I think we can all agree is the best thing for him long term. It may not happen. They may need him this year. But you have Zach Allen there now, and you have Laviano, and you have Hayden Reddick. I think that that's the best thing for Tylen Oden and the future of the quarterback position. But like all grad transfers, my expectations are minimal. They come in, they play, they don't always start. But they're, they fill a role, and I think that Rutgers has a pretty good track record with its grad transfers going back to the Lou Tollers and R.J. Dills of the world, and I think Zach Allen will have a similar role to guys like them that come in, maybe they start, maybe they don't. Could he be the starting quarterback? Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to another Rutgers ScoutCast. I hope people... Enjoyed. A, it was a little walk down memory lane for me and talking about really some of the behind the scenes stuff that you went through in that step forward, the, the ma- major years of Greg Schiano, the turning point, uh, 05, 06. I think that most Rutgers fans my age and younger look at that as the time where they really started following Rutgers. And I think that I know there's a ton of diehards on our site that have followed through thick and thin, but I think some people didn't really start paying attention at all until what Greg Schiano did in 05-06. So that's always an interesting year to me, and it's some of my favorite stories to hear told from the people that were there because 
like I've told on this show before, I wasn't there in 06. I was a senior. I was on a field trip in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, when Rutgers beat Louisville. So I'm always interested to hear from the 43,000 people that were in that stadium, although the talk to people now and at least 200,000 people claim they were at that game. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I hope everyone enjoyed this week's show. As always, contact me with questions, comments, anything you'd like on the podcast. Uh, Next week should be another interesting show, but uh, I'm your host, Sam Hellman of the Rutgers Scoutcast. Thanks for listening.